the bottom line of everything I do is the feeling that housing is a human right. And that's in the International Declaration of Rights. But it's also just reality. We live in the rich country. Sonoma County is a rich county. It's ridiculous that we have 22,000 people with nowhere to sleep at night. I think it's a human right. And I hope other people will understand that and just be as appalled as me. That's all. <laughs> Welcome to Sebastopol City Limits, a podcast. We'll be talking to folks inside and outside the Sebastopol City Limits about local government, education, and culture. I'm Dale Doherty with the Sebastopol Times. I'm joined today by Adrian Laubi and Hector Gutierrez from Sonoma Applied Village Services, S-A-V-S, I've seen the acronym, and they manage the Horizon Shine on Gravenstein Avenue. And we're going to learn more about them and what managing that means. Actually, we'll start with you, Adrian. Can you tell us a bit about yourself and your background and how you got into this? Sure. So I'm right now the board president of SAVES, and I've been doing homeless work for about eight years. I got into this through a long history of trying to do change in the world, starting with feminism in the 70s and going through a disability movement. I wanted to do local work and because of Occupy Santa Rosa, I realized that there was an overlap between disability and homelessness. And so I started trying, like a lot of us, do something. Help. Oh my gosh, this shouldn't happen like it is. Why do we have 2,000 people on the street in Santa Rosa? Not in Santa Rosa, in Sonoma, Canada. So I gathered up my courage to go meet homeless people and started developing a team. We worked with this group called Homeless Action for, and then eventually we realized that all of our good ideas were not going to be put into play unless we ourselves did them. So we started Saves in 2018 as a nonprofit. And that allowed us to get some government funding, which is what we've done. And eventually to open up Horizon Shine here in Sebastopol. Great. Thank you. Hector, how about you? Actually, I'm new to the homeless cause only because I just been here in the Santa Rosa area about a year and a half ago. I moved up here from Los Angeles area. I work mostly city government for the last 30 years and I retired from that particular job. And then I moved up here with my wife. She's originally from this area. And uh, how I got involved with SAVES, I had applied for a position of project manager and mostly that would be construction after discussing with Adrian what the project was and what was the goal. I find it very interesting. I think it's a great idea. I think it's a humane type of thing that I wanted to be involved with. I wanted to help the community. I wanted to help the cause of what this is program I was trying to achieve. So with that being said, I took the job so that I can be part of this particular project and the rest is history. I've been there for going almost in a year. We mm -hmm. completed the village in Sebastopol and we're moving on to other projects in the future. It's just so new, but I'm really enjoying the work that I'm doing. What do we know about the homeless situation in Sonoma County from your perspective? What have you learned that you could share with us? I think the biggest thing I've learned is to keep the generalities outside of the world. People have lots of generalities about homeless people, starting from the most stigmatizing, like they're all mentally ill, they're all losers, they're all drugs and addicts, to the kindest ones. They're all wonderful, giving, loving people who just lost a job. 
And the truth is there are 3,000 homeless people in Sonoma County, and they are very particular people with particular histories, just like anyone else. What we do know is that there is an increase of elderly people in their 70s and even 80s. And these are people who have generally had a work life and retired and then had some level of tragedy or unusual circumstances hit them. But I think because of the economy, rich getting richer, the poor getting poorer, it's just more of those folks, which is, they're all heartbreaking. We also see a lot, and I'm saying the things that I think might surprise people. So you see a lot I said about disability and people would say, yes, mentally ill. We close the mental institutions. So of course, there's a lot of mentally ill people. But actually, there's also a lot of physically ill people. We meet people, an amazing number of people to me who have cancer and are going through cancer treatments. People in wheelchairs with mobility problems, people with breathing problems. We also find, I would call them economic refugees who have been priced out of the housing market because of maybe they just didn't expect it to be so hard to rent an apartment, but also people who've lost jobs and people who lost housing because of the tubs fires. So climate change and economics have definitely affected us. 2,000 of those people live outside. 1,000 of the 3,000 are in some sort of facility, shelters, group homes, whatever. Uh, but that 2,000 really literally have nowhere to stay every night. About a third of them, and this will probably surprise people, do have a vehicle they live in, which makes sense because if you were to lose your home, the first place you'd go is whatever vehicle you have. And also people get given like an RV. Oh, I have this one. I'm not using it anymore. Or my brother-in-law has a crapped out one in their backyard. You could have it, just take it out of the backyard. So we have what the police call caravans of homeless vehicles. And this has worked out well for saves because it's easy. Like they already have a kitchen. They already have a bathroom. They already have a place to live. And it's a matter of just giving them a place that's safe and legal. Because the biggest problem is two things. One is keeping your RV registered and smog and all those things that cost a lot of, which you don't really need because you're living in them. You're not traveling in them. And then the police, because you're only allowed to be on the street at a certain number of days, depending on where it is. And so they get harassed by the cops. Like, oh, you have to leave. You have to leave. Yeah, I saw you over on there last week, but you're here this week. You got to go somewhere else. And so it's a constant stress where you're going to be. And of course, this is all magnified with people who are living in tents. The same thing happens. They get neighbors call and then, okay, you got to leave. You got to leave. We just kept saying, and they keep saying, where are we going to go? Where are we going to go? So the mission of saves is to give them a place to go. And we have our one village in Sebastopol. We're hoping to do a new one that will be Latino focused because they are overrepresented in the homeless population. We'll have more to say about that later in the year. Is the RV home site kind of a model that you're going to build on? I mean, our goal, we call it tiny villages and we say right. whatever is a village. It could be a village of tents. It could be a village of okay. uh, little one mini homes that are just a bedroom with no, any kind of facility and then common rooms to help or, or ivories and trailers. So how did you get involved in Sebastopol then? So we came because of Morris Street, essentially. We got to know people who were concerned about Sebastopol and we have outreach workers who go around the county and just give people a little food or whatever. And pretty soon we saw, here's a community. And the good thing about a community like this is that you can find them because everyone else is getting moved around. 
So we started coming to Morris Street more often. We did a project where we tried to help people get there. We had a fund and we tried to help them get registered and legalized so they weren't in trouble. And that means we met them. And then we met some of the council people who were also interested in trying to do it. And we put a proposal in and it went nowhere. And then at some point there was this magic moment where the council said, we really want to do something here. And we said, we really want to do something here. And there was some money. And that was, I think, the critical piece uh, that the county system threw into it. And that's how we started to start Horizon Shine. So they identified some property. And then, Hector, were you involved in having to construct that ability? Yes, that was my primary role, was to construct the property once, or the village. And we called once we got all the permits and all approvals from city council and everyone involved. I was, yes, responsible for building the infrastructure for it, managing well, all that. How long did it take to get permitted and everything? So I think because of all the work that Adrian and the rest of the board has been doing with city council, they were aware of all this, this particular project and everything that we have discussed of how it was going to take place. And we actually showed them the design and what we had in mind. So permitting was very, uh, quickly. They, they were ready to help us. So when they well, with I got to interrupt here, cause this is a kind of legal issue. We were sued by some neighbors and they said we didn't go through the permitting process correctly. The judge threw them out basically, but we didn't actually go through permitting because we were permitted automatically because of some regulations and rules that the planning department did. So again, the city of Sebastopol really worked with us. Hector, can you talk about what did you have to, you obviously had to put up fencing, but what else? Yes, so the fencing was put up actually by the owner of the property and I just managed the construction of it. And then after that, we had to bring in power, work with PG&E on them. Also, we had to have that particular property does not have potable water service from the city. So we had to plumb the actual site, but then we are using tanks with the pump. It's, it's also internal. So I had to have the plumbers come in and build the infrastructure for all the plumbing, water faucets that we have on sink. We have portable showers. So we have connection to the portable showers as well. And then we also had to put up cameras for security. And we also have Wi-Fi for the office and Wi-Fi for the residents to separate systems so they can connect to the Wi-Fi. I just recently built a dog run that it was a donation by a member of the community, but I was involved overseeing that particular project. So anything that has to do with actually any kind of construction per se, that's what I'm involved with. Were there any, did you create any shared areas such as like communal eating? We have a community tent. So it's like a common area where people can come and that's where we have our meetings. That's where we have our like tables and chairs for people to eat once the food gets delivered in the evenings. And there's a place to gather, community gathering. We have porta potties, obviously, uh, and uh, trash pickup service where we have trash cans all throughout the property. Fire department have come through and done inspection for us as far as we have to have fire roads for emergencies within the property. So that's all been taken care of and that's all that had to be planned to build it like that. Could you talk a bit about moving people in? You had to convince people, I think, initially to go. But were they willing and what did they think when they moved there? There was one other thing I wanted to add in here about setting it up. We are not on city property. People often think we are, but we are on a private property, which is owned by another nonprofit, St. Vincent DePaul of Sonoma County. 
They yeah. bought what used to be natural gas or propane. They brought a, a property that wasn't at all being used, and now it is. They've been great partners. Getting people interested. It was actually a little uphill. The concept that they might be behind a fence, the concept that there might be a rule, that there might be some rules about visitors. We said that the owners of the vehicles could come and that if they wanted to live with someone else, which many of them did, either in a couple or as friends, uh, that was okay, but they couldn't just have people staying in their unit. That was really distressing to some people because they were taking friends off the street and saying, yeah, you could sleep here tonight. Some of them many nights, almost all nights. These kinds of rules. And then these are people who are not used to having rules and they've seen rules really be used against them. So there was a fair amount of like fear, I would say. And we just kept meeting with them like we kept meeting with the neighbors and saying, this is what it's going to be. And here's the advantages. And when it came right down to it, the fact that they would not be under police control every day and having to deal with the police all the time and that they weren't, uh, didn't have to come up with a thousand dollars to get their back registration done. Th these were convincing. <laughs> In the end, I think everybody moved that was there. And then there, there was just the physical part of moving them. And I got to give a big bow to Hector because the police had actually started to really enforce. And so we thought we had a couple of weeks to move everyone in. We could do it step by step. It turned out to be a few days really. And Hector had to set up exactly where each one would go and figure out who was friends with whom, but also with how the physical, because these trailers are different sizes. So how they all fit on the property. And then which ones needed to be towed and who could tow them. It was a lot. At the same time, we were doing our intake, which is a big physical document that everyone had to sign and give a lot of information and get their ID photographed. And so there was, uh, let's just say it was fun, fun in the sun, sun, sun. It's actually someone knowing them and what they're doing is on one hand, a kind thing, but it's a threatening thing. And it made a huge difference. The Sebastopol advocates that had originally started working with us and then that we were there a lot, we knew them as people and we knew they had relationships. We had some idea what relationships they had with each other. All of that, I think, made this whole thing actually work. We had a community and we moved it into a better spot to have a community. So Hector, you have this, I think, difficult role trying to balance care and safety and all these other things. Yes. Originally we had an idea what we wanted things to be. And I come from a background of project management of people and projects, large projects. That particular project, it was that overwhelming. I just had an idea of what we needed to do. There's all kinds of different things that come up every day as far as how to make things happen because they change and things like that. But overall it was, it was just something that we had to take our time and take it through before we start doing things. Because Adrian mentioned, we unfortunately had to, at the very beginning, we had to get some people up the street in a hurry, like within a couple of days, if not less. So we have to figure out how to get them in the village and place them in a place where we still have major construction taking place. But to answer your question, I think everything, everything was planned out well, so. Everything just, we had good vendors and I had a lot of good help from some of the residents within the village that would help me do some of the daily, everyday activities that we needed to do there to get things ready. So yeah, I think it went pretty well. I was there on, on site every day and mainly that was because of the construction. Most of the construction is already completed. So it's now being managed by an actual property manager, site manager there. You also have caseworkers that 
visit and get to know and help the people that live at the village navigate some of their issues, right? That's correct. I think I want to talk about our model, which is to say these people are adults. They've had lives. They are not criminals. They are not children. We know they need to have some say in how they live and what their circumstances are. So we started out right away to have a village council and we're in moving into our second phase of trying to have a visit village council where it wasn't greatly successful, but we've always felt it's not just us, you know, it's a team, but we do have hired staff. We have our village manager, as Hector was saying, but we also have caseworkers and their job is to take people one by one and say, what do you need? What, what will help you move on in your life? And the goal, of course, is to get people into permanent housing that they are stable enough to stay in. Yeah, we have three, three case managers now, plus a, an on-site manager and a village manager. And we also hire our own security during the day. We have 24-7 security and a commercial security company that does it at night. Expectation is that you would get some of these people into permanent housing. Does that, would you fill their spots with others? To oh, yeah. That? Yeah, okay. Absolutely. There, and there are others. Oh, there are. Wait, do you have a waiting list? Oh, we do. And I should say right off the top that right now we're limited to people who live in Sebastopol or have had that kind of thing in their background. The city is enforcing people some new regulations, so people are getting kicked out. But um, if they've been in Sebastopol for a period of time, then they're eligible. When we finish and get everybody in Sebastopol taken care of, then we'll consider doing something wider. Maybe we'll take on great. There's a model here that you're talking about that could apply to lots of small cities and others that need to deal with this problem more effectively. I hope so. And I think we're seeing it some. There's a new facility in Burnville opening soon. There's another tiny village in Petaluma now that's being run by Cots. And they all have different models. Ronert Park is going to be opening a tiny village of little houses. I think our model of having people self-manage is unique and I think it's more cheap and more useful and more humane. So I'm hoping that will spread as well, whether we do the managing or someone else does right. it. We talk about interactions with the community in general. I mean, we talk about the police doing enforcement of Morris that's driven by citizen complaints. That's driven by business complaints and everything else. So there's a level of anxiety about having this in a community, but it's also a reality. It sounded like you had churches helping you and other organizations that really want to help, want to be part of solving the problem. Yeah, overall, Sebastopol's been very welcoming. There was a group of people who sued us to shut us down, and there was a lot of fear and a lot of concern, and especially in the immediate neighborhood. But a lot of that is just as, as we opened and it became real. For instance, the bank across the street told us that at one point, there were people coming in there every day and saying, I'm sorry, I won't be able to bank with you anymore because that homeless thing is going to be across the street and I won't feel safe and I'm not coming in here. And they were getting that all the time. And then we opened and nobody has not come in there. Nobody is continuing to complain. So that's the good news. And I think Hector could should answer this also because he is our business liaison and, and we're very concerned about the businesses and getting along with them. So as Adrian mentioned, I am the liaison with the merchants in that immediate area. So I made uh, sure that when we first moved in there, I introduced myself and I told them what my role was and gave them my phone number and information in case they ever have any problems with any persons that they feel might be 
part of our village to give me a call. I did ask for a video or pictures of the incident so that I can have some proof. But oddly enough, I would say that 95% of the time, none of the incidents that I, cause I, when people, the customers call me, the merchants call me, I will meet them in person and go through their videos and pictures and stuff. For the most part, 95% of them, they are not residents of our village. So it's just part of the unhoused situation within Sevastopol and the county in general. But yes, it's been, it's been going well. There's also a group that deals with the actual residents community. And we meet like once a month on Zoom. And oddly enough, to all that concerns that people had originally when we were going through get approval for this and to make it happen, people were outspoken about all the dangers that they feared. But oddly enough, none of them have really come into fruition. And also people just don't show up to those meetings. I don't think that people are there, there, it's a big deal. It's a big problem. Like if that, it would be so little by little, it's just the group of people that show up to these meetings are smaller. And also there's a, for the most part, they're, they're positive about things. They're surprised. Originally I was surprised at that response, but for the most part, people in the community, both merchants and the private residents have been very supportive and not too many complaints. Can you talk about how this is all funded both? from your organization and the specific project, the mix of different funding sources. Thank you. It gives me a chance to say thanks to our donors because we love people who just give us some money with no strings attached. Right now we have a challenge grant for vehicle repair because people have the vehicles, their cars they use to drive around and some of them need help. So we had a $2,500 challenge grant. And we're slowly but surely meeting that challenge. So soon we'll have that fund ready. But this is a big... Can I ask, where do you go to contribute to that fund? Our website, sonomavillages.org. Sonomavillages, plural, dot org. Thank you. That's very helpful. But the, it's a big project. It costs a lot of money to have staff and to do the kind of infrastructure that Hector put us through. The money comes from the county of Sonoma, basically. It's the Board of Supervisors gave us some money. An agency group called the Community Development Commission, through their group, which is called the Continuum of Care, they're the ones that funded the major portion of it all. Some of it, most of it, I would say, comes from the state of California money, ultimately. And the city? The city actually has not had put any money into it. They were given a grant by the Board of Supervisors to help with some of our expenses. So they had $80,000, but it just was a pass-through. No taxpayer money at this point. Hopefully that is assuring to some folks that raise that question. But let me ask... Is, you mentioned donations. Is there anything that you need that, or the village needs that people might be able to contribute in some way? You mentioned just car repair or. Let me just say, yes, yeah. Bottom line is these are poor people. The one thing we mostly don't need is clothes because they've been able to get those through their stores or whatever, but lots of other things. We do provide a meal every day and two of those days are done by a volunteer. So we could certainly use help with that. If people are interested in cooking meals, money is nice because then we have the ability to just help people with their individual needs, which we usually don't have the money to do ourselves. Yeah. But if people have in-kind kinds of donations, like you said, car repairs, I'm sure there's many others if I would just think about it. We also have a volunteer program and we do have three or four really active volunteers. So they're there so they see what needs to be done, but they put together a women's group, for instance. And the person to talk to is Cynthia Potan. 
And you can reach her by her first name, Cynthia, C-Y-N-T-H-I-A, at Sonoma Villages, V-I-L-A-G-E-S dot org. So that's for volunteers. Yeah. Yeah, you have a great website. That's very informative. If anybody wants to follow up, it's really is great that you're able to get funding from a lot of different sources to make this happen. Yeah, we feel very lucky and privileged. Our board is terrific. They're a, a working board. So the guy who does the website, we put a little money into it, but mostly it's been his blood, sweat, and tears. That's great. Good. Thank you, Hector and Adrian, for your time today. Uh, thanks again for being with me today. So, thank you. My pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you.